We are back for this week's episode of the Admir Report Podcast. Of course, I'm Jason Floyd. That is my guy, Daniel Galvan. We're here to talk about everything going on in the world of mixed martial arts. And, of course, we get into various other things that are happening in our crazy life. As always, we appreciate you taking time out of your day to, whether you watch us on YouTube or if you're checking us out maybe on the social media platforms with the clips that are out there, or, of course, if you check us out on the podcasting platforms, we really do appreciate everyone who checks out the show each and every week. Daniel, I had to brave the, uh, the cold weather Detroit on Saturday night, I had the big jacket, had the layers on, but I'll tell you, boy, when that cold air hits your legs through those jeans, whoo. Bro, I can only imagine. I mean, how cold was it in Detroit for you? Uh, Saturday night, I want to say it was 10 degrees. That doesn't seem real. I know we got a listener that he had like negative degree temperature he was braving, and I was just like, I can't even comprehend that, but 10 degrees is is crazy. I mean, look, I was in a similar boat. It wasn't as cold, but I had to be outside for five, six hours wrestling three times in 40 degree weather in my underwear, basically just out there in my underwear, slapping people's chest and getting my chest slapped. So I was feeling the cold bug as well on Saturday. I'm surprised I didn't come down with the cold. I mean, again, you go to a doctor and you ask him, how do you get a cold? He's probably going to tell you, go out on your underwear for six hours in 40-degree weather. So uh, it was a cold weekend, Jason. I- I'm glad we can warm up now indoors in our, in our respective homes. Yeah, yeah, man. Yeah, so the, the NFL season is over for me. I've had I've had s- multiple people over the past couple of days that they've said, "All right, Jason, the Bucks are out. Who who you going for? Going for?" And for the most part, usually I really don't, unless I know someone works for another organization that you know I have, I have a relationship with. But I, I was telling somebody last night this: like, how do you not root for the Detroit Lions and that fan base to win a Super Bowl? Yeah when you look at the history or lack thereof of them being a part of the playoff picture, the postseason picture, the Super Bowl, they're the NFL's version of the Chicago Cubs. I mean, for me, the Lions are so easy to root for. When you compare it against the Ravens, we've seen win the Super Bowl before. The Chiefs, we've seen win the Super Bowl before. The 49ers obviously had that great run with Joe Montana and Steve Young. They've been good. You look at Dan Campbell – how do you not want to go run through a wall for that dude starting off his career talking about biting off kneecaps? So you give me a Lions Ravens Super Bowl, I'll be happy. I bet the NFL obviously would love a Chiefs in the Super Bowl. I mean, what? Why? Why do you say that? Well, because of the person on the sidelines that everyone's can't stop looking at a shirtless Jason Kelsey. Dude, I'll tell you what. Shirtless. You talk about the list of people you'd love to party with. Jason oh Kels has is, is, is got to be at the top of the list now. Like, like, like look, you tell me, like, hanging off, like, Snoop, Willie Nelson, you know, enjoy some products. I, I think that'd be awesome. Like, but you talk about, like, he just looks like that dude you want to chill at the bar with. You know you're going to have a good time. You also know you're going to have a headache, and you might get arrested. But you are going to have a good time. All I know is Jason Kelsey needs to be doing a NFL morning show. But it's just him pre-gaming shirtless. <laughs> I don't know who the rest of the hosts are. Probably Travis is one of them. But I, I think that's got to be, you know, everyone's like, what's the pivot? How are we going to get eyeballs? Give me a pre-game show where they're actually pre-gaming. Yeah. I, like, my thing is, what was in the bowling ball that he chucked? 
<laughs> Obviously, I'm guessing it probably was some some type of, of liquor. I'm guessing, but I'm I'm just like, and then, and then like so many questions. Like, uh, so dude, are they just pouring the shot in the when the 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 finger holes in the bowling ball? Like, do they? Is it a custom bowling ball? I have way too many questions about this. Yeah, yeah, it's it's the shoey has evolved. And now we're going bowling. I was this a used bowling ball? Did they go to the old, you know, the old local joint and, and steal an eight ball and 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 bring it on? I, I've got too many questions, but better to drink it out of a bowling ball than a bowling shoe. I, I must say, dude. And how athletic is Jason Kelsey? I mean, literally jumps out of the suite and then propels himself back in, jumping in. I'm like, this dude's 36 years old. God knows how many beers he's had at that point. And he made it look like it was another just a casual day. I love the idea of a NFL GM room scouting some tape and one of the scouts brings up that clip and he's like, look at the athleticism of him. We got to get him out of retirement. You know, some guys 40 tape, but we got this dude drunk as hell, shirtless, pole vaulting like he's ready to be a part of the next year's Olympic gymnastics team. Yeah, he, he's an athletic freak. And uh, it, it, it's the great, I mean, say what you will about T-Swift, but you add Jason Kelsey to the T-Swift, you know, fan you know group of of people watchers and i'm all aboard like i was kind of i was kind of not feeling the whole really we're going to show her every snap but you introduce a shirtless pro bowl hall of fame offensive lineman to the mix and i'm like all right i'm all i'm all a part of the kelsey swift type train dude it's amazing I, i've seen so many like because their, their podcast came out today and i think travis like all right jason we gotta talk about it. he's like we talk about it. <laughs> Like, like that is that is the thing. Like, look, I've I've been working for an NFL team broadcast the last twenty years. Kind of know inner workings of how things go. But like, I'm sitting there going, at what point does someone on the Chiefs organization, when they get to the locker room after the game, and goes, "Hey, Traff, um, we need to show you a video." <laughs> Bro, I guarantee you he saw that on the Titan Tron. I bet that was on the big jumbo tron when he was on the sidelines. I'm sure the NFL films people are like, all right, so are we gonna mic him up like on his nipple? Does he have a long strand of chest hair? <laughs> we can put a mic on there. Because the one thing we're missing is that audio. You know, early in the season, I don't know who it was that mic'd up Aiden Hutchinson's parents. And we just kept on getting a uh, sound of his dad being like, good job, son. But the, the, uh, the sideline fan audio that I know we need is Jason Kelsey. Oh God. You, you know, if the chiefs make it to the Super Bowl, that's probably going to happen. You, you already know. Like they're going to, they're, they're going to probably say, Hey, can we get a mic in this uh, luxury suite? Like that's just like that, that scene. And, and Buffalo is an insane place. Detroit, man, that, that fan base, it was loud. Like I've been, I, I remember in pregame when the Bucks came out to to warm up and you hear the boos and I'm like, this stadium's only like half filled and it's already loud. And I mean, yeah, it was just an unbelievable atmosphere. Of course, you know, I mean, look, I'll be I'll be watching the games on Sunday because I'm a football junkie. You know, uh, Saturday is Gasparilla here in Tampa. This weekend in, in Tampa Bay is a Saturday is a loaded up day. You got Gasparilla. Which is our huge parade where we uh, celebrate pirates invading our city. It's 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 basically uh, a you know 
a day of partying in Tampa. It, it, for people who are not in Tampa, it's a day of partying. I'll be down there, and uh, yeah, you know I'll be having a good time. I'll be having a good time on Saturday. You got Royal Rumble is here Saturday night. Also, the Lightning play uh, on Saturday night. So, man, it's going to be a lowered-up area. And uh, But really, Daniel, the big news of – the past 24 hours, you know, Dana had teased that they were working on something. And when I see Dana White announces that they have signed Kayla Harrison, she is going to make her UFC debut at UFC 300 against Holly Holm. I'm, I'm not shocked she's been signed by the UFC. The shocking part to me is she's going to fight at 135 pounds, which... I've, I've talked to people at South Florida and Macy, and they all, they've all kind of said that, man, I don't know how she's going to make 135. Not, not someone I've talked to today, but in previous conversations. But, like, to me, that is the biggest shock of it all is that it's at 135 pounds and not 145. Yeah, but that's a big win if you're the UFC. If you're able to get Kayla Harrison to be a part of the 135-pound picture, that's a big win because that's where she's valuable. I mean, this move was big. And it really could be the death nail for women's featherweight in the sport. PFL announced there wouldn't be a featherweight tournament. It was going to be a flyweight tournament in the upcoming season. At this point, Chris Cyborg's only only opponent is, is Pacheco. And Pacheco, I would imagine, is a fighter that would like to fight at 135, given the fact she has fought there in the past. So for Kayla, being the other 145 domino, with the man and Nunez now retired for her to be at 135. I I think the the days of 140 pound five pound female fights at a high level being promoted by a major company is likely gone. Mm-hmm. So it's gonna be interesting, but clearly with the announcement, Harrison's camp thinks she can make this weight. How I don't know. Because at 155, man. She looks incredibly jacked, and like I'm just like, how do you drop 20 pounds from that to 135? And I feel like the only answer is to lose muscle mass. And surely she's had plenty of time outside of the cage to get going and figuring out how to get there. And I have confidence that she will weigh 136, 135 come UFC 300. But if she's able to consistently make 135. That's the best news for the UFC because that really reinvigorates a bantamweight division that wasn't feeling too good Sunday morning. It, I mean, there's a lot of different ways we can talk about this. I, I do want to talk get to her, the 135 pound division. Of course, Raquel Pennington win the title last weekend, but like as I was driving to the studio, I was kind of thinking about this, and I'm like, okay, PFL. We all knew what the contract was. I mean, a week ago, Don Davis says there's one fight left, but you know the, the the terms were up at the end of the year, even though she had a fight left on her deal. But I was like thinking about like from the PFL's aspect, is this as much a sign that the PFL felt they kind of maxed out what they could get financially in terms of a Kayla Harrison big fight? Because the the fight we all wanted to see the PFL make was Chris Cyborg versus Kayla Harrison. Now we're not going to see it. So the PFL to me loses the biggest fight that they can make. But it also made me wonder is maybe that tells us something about how the PFL views Kayla Harrison as a draw. Maybe because it just seemed like they were 
if they were going to get Kayla in the cage and make that payout, it was going to be so they can put on a fight they can make money on. And seemingly there was only one fight like that. So, yes. The other thing is the PFL has really struggled to get their big draws in the cage. I mean, they had Kayla under contract for a whole year. Hardly saw her. Mm-hmm. Francis Ngannou has been signed for a very long time. There's a good chance he never fights in that cage. Jake Paul got announced as a major signing. Have yet to see him compete in that cage. So for me, the theme with the PFL is just like, are they going to get these people that they sign in the cage? Because time is ticking. And I'm excited for the PFL product in 2024. I'm excited for PFL versus Bellator. I'm excited to see these tournaments play out. Mm -hmm. But clearly, they still are struggling at promising something and not necessarily delivering it. Promising Francis Ngannou as a PFL fighter and not delivering it. Promising Kayla Harrison and not delivering her fighting in that cage. So I'm glad that she's leaving the PFL because I want to see Kayla Harrison fight. And I want to see her fight in fights that people care about. And in the PFL, there were only two fights for her. They had no interest in doing the rematch with Pacheco. And the cyborg fight just could not come to fruition because, uh, needless to say, the, the relationship between Don Davis and uh, Cyborg's camp is um, it's not great. So, <laughs> Understatement of the year. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. So I, I'm glad this happened because – we spent a lot of time of Kayla's career with her not fighting, and she's in her prime. I know she's pissed off. How could you not be when you are the promised one and you get upset like that? So I'm excited to see what she has got going on in the UFC. I mean, this is a pretty high-profile matchup against Holly Holm, but uh, I think it's not necessarily totally on the fact that the PFL said, hey, we can't make money on you. It's a matter of, hey, we can only make money on you with this one fight, so we're only going to try and make it. Yeah, I mean, and look, and, and hopefully Kayla got the bag uh, from from the UFC. It does make me wonder, we, as what you look at from the UFC aspect in this, we just saw Raquel Pennington, as an underdog, go out and win the vacant Bantamweight title. Juliana Pena was already doing the media storm, uh, but it made me wonder, like, if the UFC kn- knows what they were going to have, would they have done that title fight last weekend? Would they have sat there and said, let's see if Kayla makes 35, if she beats Holly Holm, and then, to me, the fight to make is her versus Juliana Pena? Yeah, I don't think they knew what they had. I don't think they would have put Silva versus Pennington on the, on the line for that. And it, it kind of gives you an indication that this was a timeline that played out recently. So, mm-hmm. yeah, I don't think so. I think obviously you got to do Pena Pennington next, get that fight out of the way. And if you're the UFC, obviously you're going to be rooting for Juliana Pena. I mean, the difference in interest for a Pena Harrison fight versus a Pennington Harrison fight is massive. I mean, Juliana is just an interesting character. Pennington is not. Uh, She'll go down as a champion, but she just isn't a very interesting fighter to the casual fans. And, you know, the fight itself wasn't very good. Obviously, for the UFC, the long-term story you want to tell that, that I think it's on everyone's mind has to be if Kayla wins that championship, is is the, is the GOAT going to come back? Because that's the big money fight now. Mm-hmm. That's the big money fight. Nunez versus Harrison. I mean, that in and of itself is, is 
what a hell of a story you can tell if you're the UFC. And, and that's the business that they're in, the storytelling business. That's why people care about Kayla Harrison. Her story has been communicated effectively to the mass public and people have resonated to her. Right. That's why people care about her and don't necessarily care as much about Larissa Pacheco or Raquel Pennington is her story was effectively communicated. And that's the ultimate story. Kayla versus Nunez. That's a fight you headline a pay-per-view with. But they got to they got to get in the cage. She's got to win a couple. I just went our best fight odds and there's already a betting line out on Holly Holm versus Kayla Harrison. At DraftKings Sportsbook, Kayla is a four to one betting favorite. At Bet Rivers, she's over a five to one betting favorite. That to me is crazy because, like, I almost feel like, well, I mean, to me, the big question is how difficult is it going to be for Kayla to make 135? And, like, I think if you're, you're the Holly Home Camp, this is like the perfect fight. Because you know she's going to have to cut a ton of weight. I mean, you know, she's, I, I want to say the line that Kayla had years ago, she's like, I'd have to uh, amputate my leg to make 135 pounds. Like, so I think from the Holly Holm perspective, I think this is a great matchup to take. It's a marquee matchup. If she can go out and beat Kayla Harrison, she's right there back in title contention. Yeah. Yeah, I would, if I lived in a state where you could gamble, I would put money on Holly right away. I'm probably going to pick Kayla in this fight, but at the end of the day, since 2016, you, you you know, start looking at Holly's last like eight or nine fights. She's only been taken down two times. Once by Pennington, once by Ketlin Vieira. She's got a 78% takedown defense. Holly spent her entire career having people trying to put her on her back. On the feet, Holly's going to just have her way with Kayla Harrison. There's a massive gap in striking offense between these two. This is a great matchup for Holly Holm and a great opportunity for her. I think the thing that trends in Kayla's favor is the youth, the athleticism. Those are kind of the physical aspects that I think are going to translate to her maybe having success. And it goes without saying that Kayla is still probably the best wrestler slash takedown artist that Holly has fought. You look at that stretch that I mentioned – there aren't a whole lot of wrestlers that Holly did take on. So I, I'm leaning Kayla Harrison, but those are some wide odds, especially since Kayla's last outing was a loss. And it's the great unknown of how that weight cut's going to affect her performance. Yeah, I mean, that to me is the biggest, it's the biggest what if in this fight is what will she look like at 135 pounds? I mean, you know, it, or I mean, I would imagine that I'm sure her and her team have been probably talking about this and, and how they're going to get down to 135 and get down in a healthy aspect. So, but man, it was, that was, uh, when I was sitting there last night, I was some buddies and I saw that one come across. I was like, wow. Like, so do you think they're all done with the USC 300? You got eleven fights announced, or do you think there's still going to be one more fight? Do you think I feel, still I be feel, I feel like we we don't know what the main, what the main event's going to be. If they if they stick the landing on the main event, I mean UFC three hundred becomes the best UFC card of all time. I mean, look, it, it is a a solid card, but I I think it you know you're it's going to be a title fight. I think the question just is is I would imagine it's Leon versus Bilal. Would be would I think would be the favorite in that one? Um, I don't I don't think Duplessis turns around in less than three months to defend his title against Izzy. 
I don't see that being the case. I, I just don't think there's a lot of great options for the UFC. Yeah, I mean, they wanted to do Tom Aspen on Stipe. And who knows, maybe Stipe's camp turns around and says, ah, oh, screw it, let's do it. Mm-hmm. It seems unlikely, it seems unlikely, but that's obviously something they were trying to get done. I, I, I don't know, but, you know, none of those fights are super – I mean, DDP and Izzy is a super sexy – that's a UFC 300 main event. But Law Muhammad, as talented as he is, isn't necessarily sexy. You know, me and him have the same amount of sex appeal. It's not a lot. Um, and by sexy, I just mean, bro, this is the main event. We need to go watch it. Like, I can't wait. Like, that's kind of what UFC 300 missing. But, like, Jesus, you look at this card. The worst fight on this card is probably Bobby Green, Jim Miller. I mean, <laughs> this card is just full of pay-per-view main card quality fights. And I don't even know which five you pick. I mean, you you can only pick two because you obviously are going to have three championship fights. And it's just like, what two fights do you pick to put on the main card? And and the other thing is like, damn, you know, I, I saw it was crazy that, you know, that Charles fight, Charles is the dog against Sarukian. And I think I saw Poye was a dog against Benoit Saint-Denis. I mean, that's exciting times. I mean, if you can – purchase a UFC 299, UFC 300 pay-per-view package. As an MMA fan, you win-win. The big loser are the people that are going to watch the fight nights that surround these cards, but the UFC put all their bullets in the chamber for these two pay-per-views. I'm sitting here saying, if you're going to do, I, I, I would not, with having, we expect to be three title fights, I would imagine you just have a five-fight main card. I got to think he probably put Kayla on pay-per-view well you gotta you gotta you gotta imagine she's probably gonna get the highest salary out of the non-championship level Um, fighters to me it's either it's one of your pay-per-view fights or it's your uh tv prelim headliner yeah i think you probably put her on pay-per-view and then it's just like all right what's the other fight which one are you picking? Are you picking Yuri Rockich? Are you picking Cater K- Sterling? I mean, Cater Sterling to me seems like the headliner for the prelims. I think you go Yuri Rockich is your fifth one. Yeah, that would actually make sense because, like, let's say because you got lightweight, you got strawweight, you got a women's bantamweight bout, you don't really have any big boys on there. Yeah. That makes sense. Yeah, but, I mean, I – I don't see DDP turning around that quick. I just like if you're him and plus also I look at that and I just say like, if you're the UFC, how do you, you got to look at that fight and say, how do we not like you got to try? I think, I think you got to try to do that fight in Africa. But is it a clear cut situation? That's what is going to be next because I kind of like, I'm thinking rematch after what we saw last Saturday. I think this would be my thing if I'm the UFC. I think you got to strike while the iron's hot in terms of, uh, you know, the DDP Izzy rivalry. I, that's why I think you go there. But if you said they're going to do an immediate rematch, I'd have no problem with that. Yeah, I get what you're saying because a lot of times when they have that opportunity, it it goes. The chance to make the big time fight is over. Because maybe he goes out there and he loses to Strickland. <laughs> I mean, that could very easily happen in a rematch. So I, I'm in conjunction with you. I guess it all comes down to, has Izzy let it be known that he wants to return, or is he still kind of radio silent on that front? I, I feel like Dana said, said something about that. 
Um, it kind of, you know, and maybe this is what re re energizes him to get back in there. I mean, obviously he's had some, you know, things happening away from the cage that he's been dealing with, but, um, I mean, look, it's, you know, to me, it's, that's probably the fight you make. Um, by the way, you know, something I, I saw, uh, last week post UFC 297. And, you know, we, we had this conversation about questions that, that get, that get asked to fires when we were talking about the John Strickland thing last week. And then I saw that clip of the reporter asking Dana White about free speech and, you know, putting and, and trying to say, maybe putting a leash on fires or what they can and cannot say. And as a guy, as I'm hearing this question, Daniel, the first thought in my head was when you have that as a reporter, if you have that mindset, that's what you want to do. Like, how did you think that interaction was going to go with Dana White? Yeah, well, maybe they knew how it was going to go because I think everyone in that press briefing knew. I mean, we know what Dana's MO is, and he's going to advocate for free speech mm -hmm. unless it, as Ben Folks laid out, involves maybe criticizing the sponsorship deal you have with a specific uh, clothing company. Poor Stitch Duran. <laughs> you, you got free speech until you start messing with our money. And then you don't got no free speech. But when it comes to uh, profanity, social issues, things that blur the line of homophobia, that's okay because that's kind of Dana's viewpoint. He he, uh, he can't. He's in, he's in no place to cancel people when his track record isn't great as we talked about when we reflected back on the incident with his wife in our mm -hmm. year in recap show is yeah. he, he's kind of in no place as a leader to be throwing stones and that's kind of his outlook. And it's like, yeah, what would you expect? I mean, it, that's kind of been the thing is they've been consistent people with their messaging. Do I think their messaging is completely accurate? No, I don't, but that's, that's the MO and he's going to, go out on that shield it, it was one of those things and i know um you know people were talking about you know some things that you ufc put out there in 2013 and, and kind of how it is now but it, it's just one of those scenarios where i'm sitting there just going like how did you think that's that scenario was going to play out like we all know the way dana white feels about free speech and it was just one of those things of like i'm like this right as he spit this question i'm like oh this ain't gonna go well this is not gonna go well like, yeah. and, and that's, I mean, look, and it, it's one of the things of when we, all the things we saw last week with Strickland and, and the interaction there, you know, one of the things that I, I just find very interesting in this sport is we don't have to agree with each other on everything. I can have my viewpoint, you can have your viewpoint and, and maybe we don't agree, but I think it's important for us to be able to sit there if if I don't agree with something you're saying, Daniel, I want to hear you express it because I, I want to hear your side of the story, you know? And I mean, look, we, we cannot, we can sit there and, and disagree with whoever says something, but I'm in this place where I'm at least open enough to let you make your point. Doesn't mean I'm going to agree with you, but it's just, it seems like in MMA, we have people that necessarily want to shut down people immediately as opposed to hearing their viewpoint. Yeah. I mean, it's important to listen to others, right? Like listen to Raquel Pennington and, you know, she says like, like that did hurt her. 
But if you listen to her and how that's impacted her life, maybe you will kind of reevaluate what you're saying. And she's not advocating for Sean to not have a seat at the table. She's advocating for what you said to hear somebody else's perspective. I mean, the thing is, Sean, I don't think is a big fan of listening. Um, just, I don't think that's his MO, but to embrace one another instead of just outright giving them the stiff arm leads to a more productive kind of society. And I do agree with that, but it's important to advocate for what you believe in, in terms of like, I will stand up for these types of people that are being hated on. And yeah, like I, I I think that's cool to do that because it's important to do that because, you know, people like that, people who are in a minority group can feel alone and lesser than because of comments like that. And it's cool to be like, no, you're not alone. You're not lesser than. So that's kind of why I advocate for standing up but not necessarily for canceling someone unless they truly deserve it. Unless they've like committed a crime, obviously, yeah. or really said like consistently said some racist homophobic stuff. And they just truly are spewing hate. And I don't think Sean is necessarily spewing hate with what he says consistently. He's just kind of presenting the image of him that he was, that he says what everyone's thinking, yada, yada, yada. And that's where I think it comes from for him. Yeah, I mean, look, I think there's there's a lot of the, the fan base that that's the reason they like Sean Strickland is because he's not afraid to say what's on his mind. And, I mean, look, we'll, we'll see kind of where – I don't know if you saw the video. Like, on Monday, he's up on a ladder at his house trying to – what was it? Trying to install, like, a satellite dish or something? And he's on this tall ladder. I'm like, this dude was just in a 25-minute war. Ba- face is all beaten up, and this dude is on the side of a house on a ladder. Yeah, he's – he, he's a cool, he's a crazy cat. That's what he is. And I personally do want to see the rematch just because, like, I saw the main event and I didn't come away thinking this guy is the best 185 from the world. I don't know who is the answer to that question. It might it might be Johnny freaking Evelyn. That might be the answer to that question. Mm-hmm. But having watched five rounds, it was a close fight. I know Sean has complained about the headbutt obstructing his vision. I know Ian Gary has put his expert two cents in. And, uh, man, I tell you what, Ian is a very unlikable guy in that video. <laughs> he uh, he is becoming a villain in, in the UFC, and maybe that's the thing that's going to work for him. But, geez, Louise, that video was so cringe, the way he was criticizing those two warriors. But, uh, yeah, I'm, I'm excited, man. I, I, uh, I, I think we didn't get a conclusion on that story, on who's better, DDP or Strickland. It, w- it was close, man. I mean, the 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 jab with Sean was really effective. DDP looked good in round five. He he showcased his takedowns occasionally. Story's not done. You know, if Sean doesn't get the next fight, he's obviously the type of guy that wants to continue to fight. I who who does he match up with? Who do you put him in the cage with to keep him busy? Because he deserves another fight at the championship coming off that split decision loss. What could they do with him? He's already fought Cannoneer, as I recall. 
Uh, let's see here. Yeah, he lost to Jared Cannonier back in 2022. I could see if Izzy gets the title shot, that to me makes uh, makes sense as a number one contender fight. What about Shamayev? Um, yeah. That's I mean, that's like that's like because I mean that's like a no brainer number one contenders yeah. fight. Yeah. I was just I was just looking at Jerry Cannonier. I forgot he had he suffered a, an MCL injury. Back what the hell is Robert Whitaker, Whitaker up to? Oh, he's got to fight with Paulo Costa at two ninety eight. I mean, if Whitaker beats Paulo Costa, that just would be an interesting fight because we've never seen Whitaker and, and Strickland go out there, and I mean, those are like two dancing partners that never punch each other's cards. But it, it's a damn good question that you just presented a second ago. Who is the best middleweight in the world? It might be Johnny Evelyn, bro. <laughs> It might be Izzy. It might be Johnny. It might be Sean. It might be DDP. I think those are the four. I think at for this point, we'll concede that it's DDP. Let the man from South Africa enjoy his moment. Because as we've seen, it could be fleeting. I, I, who, who do you got? Who do you got? Like gut instinct. Well, what'd you think of that fight? Like, how'd you score it? Uh, I, I thought it was three, two. Could have gone either way. You're like, all right, Judge Jason, we got your scorecard, <laughs> and it says three two could have gone either way. Yeah, I mean, I, I, I kind of, I, I did favor DDP. Yeah, but it was, yeah, it was a close Crazy. fight. It, it was it a was close a fight. Crazy. Like, but like, if you tell me, like, who do I think the best middleweight in the world is? Skill for skill, it might be Johnny Eblen, but I think the problem that Johnny Eblen's going to have is who is that great middleweight that he's going to compete against in Bellator slash PFL. Yeah, I mean, he's going to fight, what, Ray Cooper? I mean, Ray Cooper's not a top 15 fighter in the UFC's middleweight division. No. It's, did, I, it's, did, did I see? Did Cooper just get booked for a fight? I could have sworn he was the one who got – I could have sworn Cooper got booked against Eblin. No, he's he's booked against Jason Jackson. He, uh, oh, I screwed that uh, up. Uh, Sheremoff pulled out of the fight due to the injury, so Cooper steps up to, to take on Jason Jackson. I screwed that up. Who – is Eblin met, mess, mess, uh, matched up with Brunson? No, uh, Ipa Kasangane. Oh, I'm an idiot. Yeah, well, Ipa Kasangane, talented, not a top 15 middleweight. I screwed that – I screwed that pooch. Yeah, and then I just noticed that, uh, at least on Sherdog, it says the Cooper and Jackson fight uh, as a, at 182 pounds. <laughs> that's crazy. That's it, that's yeah. interesting contract weight. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> yeah. When the hell is that PFL Bellator card? February 24th. February 24th? Yeah. I'm excited for that one. It's going to be... We, I mean, look, we got to get through this damn... Deludze, Imavov fight, but uh, it's going to be a good February. I mean, yeah, I, I, yeah. I just pulled up um, the press release from PFL today, which they did a, a press conference down in, in South Florida, and yeah, it's 182 pound contract weight of Ray Cooper the third versus Jason Jackson. Yeah, it makes. I mean, Ray was probably looking at his weight, and he's like, I can't make 170. And Jason no, no, no. He, no, he, he is. Um, I know his management's been very vocal that he's he's not going to try to make it 170 again. He is he is trying to fight at at 185 pounds. Risky for Jason Jackson. I mean, it's a to to, to take a guy on 12 pounds out of your weight class. 
with some dude that's got some strong hands and man doesn't really offer a lot in terms of respect in terms of like where we look at like if Jason beats Ray Cooper it's not going to mean as much as it would have had he beat Malcolm Ed Sharapov Malcolm Ed Sharapov excuse me but uh so that's a risky one for him because I mean again like the the thing I think about Ray that could really end on Jason's night is is the power and that's going to play a factor at 182 compared to 170 Mm-hmm. Yeah. Uh, by the way, another thing I mentioned, uh, UFC 297, Neil Magny. I mean, he's 15 seconds away from losing. <laughs> he goes Dude. out there, he pulls out the, the OG going out there and pulling off the uh, the victory there with uh, 12 seconds ago. I called that one. I told you. I told you that was a fishing line. And, and the reason why is because of what played out there. The veteran who's been there, done that at the highest level for a very long time, going up against a guy who's incredibly talented, but he's just getting his beak wet. And he got his beak wet. Then Neil grabbed him and drowned him in deep waters. That was a beautiful story to see Magni pull that off. And, yeah, I mean, the cardio from Malat's got to be the thing that he's going to be kicking himself with. I mean, skill-wise, he was the better fighter. But – uh I agree with you. I mean, that to me was the big non-main event headline was Neil Magny's performance. I mean, you look at the rest of that 297 card, man, it was a snoozer. It was a, it was a bad pay-per-view. I mean, the one thing is I will say I really did enjoy watching Evlev and Arnold Allen. Like, I thought technically that was fun. That was a very fun fight, and Arnold Allen should be proud of his performance. It's just Evlev was just a little bit better in integrating the grappling along with the stand-up. But that was the one fight that stuck out to me. I mean, uh, MAB Chris Curtis wasn't super exciting in the first two rounds until they decided to brawl in round three. And then obviously, you know, the women's bantamweight championship fight was, was pretty dreadful. You know, Meyer Silva winning the first two rounds and Pennington doing her Pennington things in three through five. Overall, 297 was a pretty disappointing show. And a bad night for Canadians. <laughs> all all the Canadian fighters well, losing on the card. Well, unless you were a female fighter. The female Canadians won. All the male Canadians lost. I mean, the female Canadians were, this, were the other bright spot, right? Like Jillian Robertson's uh, sub win. I mean, TKO win over Diana. And then Jasmine Jezzedevicius. If that one went the distance against Cachuera, she would have won 30-24. I mean, that was one of the bigger ass beatings I've seen in a long time. I mean, those round one and two were so clearly 10-8s. They probably could have been 10-7. So, uh, yeah, for the Canadian men, it was a Debbie Downer. Yeah, I saw – I know I saw an X. I was trying to maybe see if I can pull it up. Is if you had taken all of the non-Canadians men to win, uh, it was – God, it, it was like – I think like – Plus two hundred thousand or something like this. Um, to win or lose, to for all the Canadians to lose. I saw it on, I saw it on X. I'm trying. I just did a search for it. I saw it there. I should have, I should have saved it in my phone. What it is, but it was just, it was an insane, a line. If you would have done that. Wow. Yeah. Yeah. And uh, you know, it started off with Flick's win over Malcolm Gordon. I mean, good win for Flick. And yeah, bad night for Canada. At least they, at least they were able to recognize their Canadian uh, Frankie Edgar getting into the Hall of Fame. Oh wait, he's not a Canadian. They didn't have a Canadian they could put in there. 
No, but I mean, you mentioned about Frankie Edgar going into Hall of Fame, and like I know this is something I did want to bring up is you think about Frankie Edgar memories, and to me, it all starts with the Gray Maynard fights. Those were some of the best fights of all time in the UFC. They were unbelievable. I don't know if I'm sure one of them is already in the UFC Hall of Fame. I'm sure. If not, maybe no. I'm looking now. It isn't. Well, one of them will be in the Hall of Fame. But those are fights that really showcase the fortitude of Frankie Edgar and Gray Maynard. And when I think of my personal Frankie Edgar memory, it's going to be shocking the world. It's going to be UFC 112. He was a massive underdog against BJ Penn, who was one of the three kings of the UFC. It was Anderson, it was GSP, and it was BJ, the three kings. And it didn't seem like anyone was going to dethrone any of those kings. And the first one to go down was Frankie Edgar, a guy too small for 155, wins that decision, wins the rematch. And that's what I think of when I think of Frankie Edgar. Doing the most in spite of his size and the fact that he went and challenged for a championship at lightweight and at featherweight is truly impressive, man. Yeah. I mean, just an incredible career. I mean, and you mentioned the point of the fact that this guy was fighting at 55 was the smallest guy in the division. It was still going out there. Of course, wins the title. And, and then you just think about, I mean, obviously the, the ending of the career did not go the way he wanted with those three uh, knockout losses to end his career. But man, I, I, to me, it goes back to the, those, the second and third fight against Gray Maynard at, at UFC 125. And then of course the UFC 136, when he, when he knocked out Gray there in the fourth round. I mean, those are like, if you're a newer fan to the sport, like, and, and you, you, you want to watch some old fights? Those are two great fights to go watch. Yeah, I agree with you. I wholeheartedly. Uh, just, I think Edgar's going to be remembered for his rivalries. The rivalry yeah. with Maynard, the rivalry with Penn, and then the pair of fights he had with Benson Henderson. I mean, he elevated Benson Henderson, who took the torch from him at, at the lightweight division. But, uh, yeah, Frankie is a deserving member of the Hall of Fame. I think when you're power ranking the greatest lightweights of all time, He's probably going to be four, three or four would probably be my ranking. I don't have them in front of me, but uh, maybe five, honestly, you start to start thinking about. I mean, I, I would put BJ over Frankie, even though he beat BJ Penn three freaking times. When you look at BJ's legacy mm-hmm. in total, I would still put him over Frankie Edgar. And then obviously Habib uh, goes above him. Uh I don't know if you do Islam yet, but I mean it's hard not to, really. Yeah, I mean I just I just I pulled up topology here, and this is a fan um, rankings for the greatest UFC lightweights of all time: Habib, the Bronx, Poirier, Penn, Alvarez, Edgar, Dos Anjos, Tony Ferguson, Islam Mahachev. Yeah, I think I would. I mean, I. I Oliveira has done a lot. He really has, but it, it, but also I think like the thing with BJ is you think about how the ending of the career went. And and I think yeah. sometimes it when a fighter's career goes downhill like BJ's did, I think sometimes it you have to remember the time where he was the best to do it. And when you I mean when you look at just his prime you're looking at the second best lightweight of all time. 
behind Nirmaga Madoff. And BJ was always someone that had – here's why you know BJ Penn historically should rank above Frankie Edgar. I'll put it real simple. Frankie's going in the Hall of Fame. We're talking about BJ Penn. If BJ was going in the Hall of Fame, I don't think we would be talking about Frankie Edgar. That's how you know BJ's kind of above him. But I would put Frankie over Alvarez. I mean, here's the thing, and this is from Fight Matrix. So uh, this is their top 10 lightweights of all time. Habib, number one, BJ, two, Alvarez, three, Poirier, four, Benson, five, DeBronx, six, Edgar, seven, Mahachev, eight, RDA, nine, Tony Ferguson, 10. Yeah, I, I disagree with Poirier and Alvarez being above him. I think you have to put Benson above Frankie. Benson's close. And I, I think you well, he's got to win. Yeah, he's got two wins. But it's the same thing as like, yeah, Benson's got two wins over Edgar. Edgar did a clean sweep over BJ. But it's like when you look at what they did outside of their fights, you know, was it what Edgar did more than enough? And I don't think so when you contrast to a Benson. So you could put Benson above Edgar for me. Yeah, I mean, I, yeah, I, I mean, that championship defended a couple times. And, and let's be honest about it. if we have this conversation a year from now, Mahachev may be, we're talking maybe at number three or two, honestly, or two. I mean, yeah, I, I kind of forgot that Benson defended that championship four times or three times. He won the championship, defended it three times. He, he deserves that number three spot. But I think Mahachev has the opportunity to, to be number two because. He's gonna. He he's just looking just like Nurmagomedov, Madoff, mm-hmm. and they just looked unbelievable in every aspect of the game and unbeatable. Yeah, I mean, like, I mean, I just look at this and I'm like, I mean, is, and this is kind of a great debate to have. Like, where do you put the Bronx at? He needs that championship to really be a part of that top five. I mean, he's in that same category as Poirier, where it's like the wins are impressive. But you need that championship. You need to defend it if you want to be remembered as one of the greatest. I, I cares. I'll, I'll put three names. And how would you rank them? Poye, DeBronx, Gaethje. I, I think I'm thinking of putting Gaethje three. I'm putting Poye two. And I'm putting Oliveira one, although I mean KG does have the winner for Poye, but I think I think Oliveira is very clearly above those those two. I mean, because obviously he's beaten both. The run he's been on has just been stupid. The, the, like the, the run he's been on has been insane. So I'm going Oliveira, I'm going Poye, then I'm going Gaethje, but it's close between Poye and Gaethje. I mean, look, we I mean Habib's clearly the goat of of this division. He might be the goat of all time. It's probably Jones, but it depends how you feel about this, it, it, the drug issues. It, my only issue I would say about call, calling Habib the GOAT, and, and he's clearly in the conversation, no question about it, is I just wish we would have seen more title defenses from him. Yeah. Yeah, and that's why when I really think about it, my GOAT is GSP. When you look at his longevity on top versus Nermaga Madoff's, it's hard to compare. And GSP, unlike John Jones, doesn't have like a fuzzy area when it comes to the mm-hmm. PED yep. 
scuttlebutt. So GSP is like a nice, clean, this is the best player of all time. This isn't like a, a baseball situation where Barry Bonds is very clearly the best baseball player of all time, but he has the PED issues. This is one where you have basically two Barry Bonds level players and one of them has PED issues and one doesn't. Dude, how did Gary Sheffield not get in the Hall of Fame? I don't know, poor guy. All I know is I'm glad my Adrian Beltre got in there, but I think maybe recency bias. I mean, the guys that got in are some of the more recent dudes, Beltre, Joe Maurer. But you got to think if Sheffield doesn't get in, he's going to get in through like the uh, – like, When I saw that over time, I was like, how the hell did Gary Sheffield not get in? What percentage was he at? I didn't, I didn't see a percentage. Like growing up, we all try to do that that uh, batting style. I still know how. Yeah. I mean that that hand speed he had. Good lord. Yeah, and man, there's some there's some there's some good guys in the next year's ballot. Next year, you got CC Sabathia. Okay. You got Ichiro. You got Utley Pedroia. You got Felix Hernandez. Damn. That's a strong list of candidates. I don't know if Sheffield's getting in, bro. He's got some he staunch be. competition coming through. Yeah, you're right. And he'll get in eventually. It could be that veteran committee that puts him in. Or- yeah. Something uh, you brought up a little earlier that we kind of really didn't touch much on, but it was announced today that PFL scrapping the 45-pound division and they're going with a 125-pound division, which, first off, makes all the sense in the world because of all the fires they, they inherited from the acquisition of Bellator. Yeah. Bellator has a 125-pound weight class. It works well for the PFL. I can only think of one flyweight fighter they have, and, and that's Dakota DeCheffa. So, I mean, out of any tournament, that's probably going to be a majority Bellator fighters. That's going to be like a seven-fighter Bellator tournament, or or seven out of the 12 will be Bellator fighters. Yeah, uh, I want to. I want to say uh, Peter Murray said that basically half of the PFL tournaments would feature Bellator fighters. Yeah, that quote came out. But I wonder if it's going to be each of them will be fifty percent, or hey, this woman's flyweight is going to be eighty percent Bellator fighters, or or how I don't know if he elaborated on that. Yeah, um, I'm excited. Man. Dude, this is just another thought that came in my head. When you look at the two notable UFC acquisitions from Bellator slash PFL over the past couple weeks, more excited for Kayla's debut or more excited for Michael Page's debut? I think, God, that's a good one. I think Michael Page, because he just has a more interesting fight style. Mm-hmm. You kind of know what you're going to get with Kayla. She's going to try and bring Holly on her back and tap her out. So I'm a little more excited for Michael Page. Also, there are more fights for him that I'm interested in. So yeah, I'm going to Venom. Yeah, I, I, I think am. I would, I think I would go Page too. But if you said, "Hey, I'm more excited to see Kayla in the UFC," no, no disagreement there. Let me let me give you this then. Let me give you this question. Now that Kayla's in the UFC, who's the number one fighter not named Francis Ngannou that you want to see in the UFC? In the UFC. Two names immediately come to mind. Both Bellator fighters. AJ McKee and Aaron Pico. Yeah. Yeah, those 
Those are those are hella hell of a great answers, bro. Aaron Pico, man. Oof. I want to see what he has to do. Uh I agree with you, but I don't. I disagree. Okay. I'm sticking with the Eblin. I want to see Eblin. Let's go. Let's see. Let's see. Uh let's see how he stacks up at 185. And there's a lot, you know. It is going to be interesting to see how that Bellator versus PFL card goes out. I mean, I think that I'm sure if you probably I would think most people would probably say Bellator's got the edge on that one. But um Yeah, I think so too. I mean Eblin Eblin's a great pick though. That that's that's a great pick. I mean you can't I mean, dude, Nemkov. I mean, that'd be good too. Nemkov is less interesting than Eblin. You could also talk to me about Maga Mikarimov. Mm-hmm. Jason Jackson. Uh, okay, last last hypothetical question. He's not the answer because he's lost a step. But if you were going to see him matched up with a UFC fighter, who would you want to see Patricio Pitbull fight? What would be the one fighter at featherweight? Well, I mean, he could do bantamweight too. He could even do lightweight. But what would be the one fight that you'd be like, damn, that would be the most fun Patricio Pitbull fight. Pulling up the UFC rankings here to see uh, who would immediately jump off uh, top of my head here. At featherweight. Featherweight. You know what I think would be a fun fight? What? Him and Yair. Yeah. I agree with you. I think that's the answer. When I look at that featherweight rankings, that would be really fun. I, I, was, I, I think that's the right answer. Uh, something I was thinking about um, the other day at Bantamweight. There's one fight I really want to see at Bantamweight in 2024. What's that? Sean O'Malley versus Corey Sanhagen. Oh, geez, yeah. I agree with you. That's fight of the year written all over it. That's fight that you're written all over it. I will say the one fight at Bantamweight that I need to see is Murab fighting for a title because that man deserves a damn opportunity. I think he's the best 135er in the world. But when we're talking about, hey, bro, that's fun. Hey, bro, that's fun. That could be a BMF title if Sean loses his strap. Look, Sean's got to get through Cheeto first. <laughs> I mean, that, and that's not going to be an easy matchup for him. I'm just proud of the UFC for not turning up. Kayla Harrison and Holly Holm into a BDF title fight. <laughs> Don't tempt them. I know. You know. You know what the biggest news was, right? WWE Netflix deal. Yeah, that's the biggest news. I mean, when you talk about what happened in the past in the past week since we recorded, other than our two teams losing, um, that's the biggest news because. Like Pandora's box has now opened when it comes to sports and where we see them in the next decade. And obviously the UFC is owned by the same company who negotiated that WWE deal. And of course the deal, the UFC deals up uh, in 2025, I want to say, um, you know, Dana White talked about last week that they'll, he said, I want to say his quote was something along the lines of in the next three or four months, they were going to start the negotiations with ESPN. I mean, like that, it makes it right when I, I saw that press release, my, my very first thought was, has this just increased the odds that the UFC leaves the ESPN for Netflix? Yes. Yes. 
when you look at the way that Endeavor does business, yes, wholeheartedly. They build relationships. They go for the biggest buyer. They go for the biggest money. And for the WWE to put one of their primary assets on Netflix lets me know they are going to the highest bidder. And as soon as Netflix entered the game, we're going to see everyone into the game. And I think this is a huge deal. I really think this is going to accelerate the death of the cable, this specific deal. Because Netflix was the biggest player to not enter the legitimate live sports game. And now they have. And live sports is the one thing that's on cable other than live news and The Bachelor that people watch. People do be watching The Bachelor. That's for damn sure. I have YouTube TV. The only reason I have YouTube TV is for live sports. Yes. Because like most of most of the the shows that I watch for the most part, I can get them on some type of streaming platform, whether like if it's if it's a a CBS program, I can watch it on Paramount Plus, which I tend to do anyway, just because I don't have to watch commercials. I don't have to fast forward through commercials on, on the DVR. Um I don't really watch anything on NBC, but if I could, I could get a Peacock subscription if I wanted to. Um, I mean, honestly, the only non-sports show or live sports event that I, I watch that's not sports-related is the challenge on MTV. And you're going to get that streaming. You're going to get that streaming in the next few years. Yeah, I mean, my guess is it, it's pro. I mean, look, maybe it is on Paramount Plus. Um, I didn't know that MTV aired anything that wasn't ridiculousness. <laughs> That's, you're not wrong. Have I already gone on? Have I already gone on my? I don't know if I've done. Have I already gone on my rant where they just show the same thing on cable? No. Have I done this rant to you? Oh no. Cable has given up. All right, I just moved into my girlfriend a few months ago. I'm like, all right, I'm not going to be like these people and cut the cord like all these millennials. I'm going to buy cable just like my father so I can channel surf. There's no more channel surfing. Every channel shows the same damn show the whole time. All I see is reruns of The Office, of Pawn Stars, of, of everything. It's just like cable has given up. I'm paying $40 a month to just have reruns of The Office. Cable has given up. It's not that we're cutting cable. Cable is giving up on us. They are just saying, how long is this idiot going to keep on paying for this? Dude, I will tell you. So it was a couple months ago. Um, my grandmother got um, a new a new cable box, and, and you know she needed help installing it. Because you know these, I don't know if it's like this in your area – they just give you the boxes now and there's not some person who comes install your house. So I'm installing it and you got to go through the app to activate it all. And I, I looked, I go, grandma, you're paying this much for cable and internet. Yeah. Like, it, I, I, of course, I mean, look, like I pay a hundred dollars a month for internet, internet. YouTube TV is like, Jesus, it's $78. I don't know. I mean, I mean, I mean, I should look. I should look, see what it is. But then, you, yeah. But I sit there as much as she's paying for cable and internet. I probably pay just as much for internet and then all the streaming services. She sounds like she got a bad deal. I, I'm lucky that I'm like, I, I got it cheap here at this apartment. I don't know why. It's I mean, my internet's not great, but, and my cable isn't that great. I don't have ESPN on my cable. I'm still moving off my parents. 
But uh, yeah, I'm like at forty bucks a month on my cable bill. So yeah, that's pretty damn cheap. I know. If I'm I was, guessing, probably the apartment complex has a has a, um, a special rate with the cable company. I'm guessing. Yeah, yeah. You can only choose this one cable company. And again, it doesn't like. I think if it included ESPN, it would be like thirty bucks more. <laughs> it's it's a pretty big jump up. So I'm yeah, 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 yeah. Watching any type of, of programming, it's just not cheap these days. It's just not cheap. Like it's one of those things that you're like, oh my goodness, like man. Can I save a little bit of money? Mm-hmm. Yeah. Well, that's the thing. They'll 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 convince you you are, and you start looking at that bill, and you're like, "What the hell? I thought I bought this service for five ninety nine. Why is it fifteen dollars now? What the hell?" Dude, when I got YouTube TV, I want to say it was it was either thirty or forty dollars a month. I mean, I cut the cord. I mean, hell, probably six seven years ago. Because I remember I had DirecTV, and my my renewal was up, and it was just going to be so darn expensive. I was like, no, nah, man. And then I cut the cord, and I haven't looked back. Yeah, and you never will until they bundle it all together and resell you cable in 10 years. Yeah. I, They're going to be like, we have this thing. It has Netflix, HBO, Amazon, Disney, uh, Hulu. It has Paramount. Uh, it's going to be $100. Do you want it? And you're going to be like, oh, I'm going to save money on this. Okay, let me buy this thing. What's it called? <laughs> Sable. It's called Sable. You're not wrong, man. You're not, yeah. yeah it, it, it's, it's one of those things that you're like, you have all these streaming platforms, and then you kind of sit there and go, do I really watch all of them? No. They're, we only have so many hours in the day. We spend most of it sleeping or pooping, mm-hmm. and we spend three of about three hours eating working out doing whatever then we spend the rest working and we got about two and a half hours of free time we can't watch everything i mean the real the real thing you need to do if you were smart is just be like this is my netflix month i'm going to subscribe to netflix in september i'm going to unsubscribe i'm going to watch all the shows i want to watch and next month is apple tv month and then i'm going to unsubscribe and then it's peacock month and that's really the way to go about attacking all this programming that you need to see. Yeah. I mean, I, like it, when it comes to the UFC, I, I think they, they remain on ESPN. I would be, I would be surprised if they leave ESPN. I feel like they're going to split their package if I had to guess. I think they will maintain a footprint on ESPN, but sell a portion of their package to a streaming company. But I don't know. I could be off base on that. I just I really feel like they're going to do something with Netflix. I mean, we're we're seeing Netflix get into the you know live streaming business. So I mean, of course, what's that Netflix subscription going to be when Raw is not on Netflix? Oh my gosh! Yeah. And who knows if it's on Monday nights? That's that's what I thought was really interesting. I was watching the Nick Khan interview on Pat McAfee's show, and he kind of really alluded to the fact of, hey, we could go on any other night. And, I mean, you know, he talked about the amount of competition that's there on Monday nights. I mean, it would be weird for Raw not to be on Monday night, though. It would. It would. you think of Monday night Raw, but my gut is that they're not going to be on Monday nights. Like, I think they're going to try and run Wednesdays. 
I didn't even try and go head to head with AW. Wouldn't say makes sense because you're you're not you get away from the football competition in the fall. I was wondering would they go to Saturday, or do you not do that because then you don't want to get into the competition of the various sports based on the time of the year? And well, I think that'd be hard too if you're owned by the UFC, you know, because like that's the UFC's night, and I, I don't know if they want to do that. Like I was thinking about this earlier today. Like I wonder. Will we see a situation where the UFC does a fight night card on the eve of a tentpole WWE event, like a Royal Rumble, a WrestleMania, SummerSlam, Survivor Series? Could we? Could that be something we see happen? Yeah, I agree. I think that will happen because I think they're going to use some of the same people, and uh, it makes a lot of sense, and to make it a big thing. And I wouldn't be stunned if. It also goes the other way where we see WWE hop on International Fight Week. Who, you know, I, I think I think both those companies are going to do Saturday's UFC, Sunday's WWE. Friday night, SmackDown is in the same city as a Saturday UFC pay-per-view. Yeah. I, I do think we're going to see some type of synergy between the two brands on a live event scale. Yeah, it'd be interesting. Uh, of course, uh, Royal Rumble here this weekend, uh, Saturday. I'll be at Gasparilla. So if you're in the Tampa area, you want to come hang with your boy? Uh, I'll be I'll be on Bayshore. Uh, you know, partaking and, and enjoying. Uh, a, it's a it's my first weekend off since July. Don't get too drunk. I don't want to see you shirtless. <laughs> you know, let's see we doing it, Jason. Don't worry, I'm not taking the shirt off. <laughs> Come on, man. I do kind of want to know. Maybe I want to see that. I don't know. My buddy Chris, we'll he would always joke. He said, he goes, anytime you do an interview with a fighter, the fighter has no shirt on. You should not have a shirt on. He goes, no one wants to see that. Yeah, I agree with your friend. That would be awesome. <laughs> yeah. Yeah, man. I, I, I hope you have a great weekend, man. I hope you have a safe one. I will be, you know, hanging with family throughout it. If I'm going to watch MMA, you really only got two significant options. You got LFA 175, Bruno Lopez, Marcus Brigagio, Brigagio, light heavyweight championship fight. And you got one 165, which if you're an MMA fan, the two things you probably care about, or the three things, is one, Gary Tonin is fighting. Two, Yoshihiro Sexyama is fighting a kickboxer, Niki Hulkson, in a custom match where one 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 is like a stand-up, one's MMA. I don't know what the other one is. And and then the biggest one is uh, Sage Northcutt is taking on lightweight legend, the guy who is a part of that top 15 all-time picture, Shinya Aoki. So there's a little bit of MMA to get your appetite going as we, uh, you know, we basically go two weeks without a card that, you know, people should care about. Because man, I am down on uh, I am down on that Apex card. Yeah, yeah. I mean, some of the, it's some of these Apex cards. It's tough to really get up for. But man, I'm going all to of them, all of them. What's been the last good one? That's a good question. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, when's the last Apex card? That you, I mean, to me, by Apex card, there's always one or two fights that you look at and say, okay, the, these are very important for division or stylistically. Say, hey, that, that's a fun matchup. But yeah, man, this well, is bro, this dude. After Delice, Joe Pfeiffer is out here fighting. Bro, Joe Pfeiffer should not be fighting in front of Max Crosby and 15 people. 
Joe Pfeiffer should be fighting in freaking Pennsylvania or the East Coast mm-hmm. watching that dude wreck shop. That dude is a man of the people. He should be fighting in front of a big-ass crowd. When he gets a badass knockout, we should have a big-ass noise, not Max Crossley going like, yeah. <laughs> no, man, I'm with you. I mean, and, and I mean, Dana White did talk about last week that they are going to start traveling more. I, he was doing an interview. I'm not sure if it was at a, at a press conference or I was watching an interview I think it was the interview he did with Aaron Bronsetter of Sportsnet, and he talked about the fact that they're they're going to try to get out more and more with these fight nights. Um, you know, and you know, look, it's and those, those t- when you can sell tickets the way they can sell tickets, uh, you understand why they may. But also, it is it's very easy for them to do those apex cards just because of everything just right there in Vegas for them. But yeah, man, I'm I'm looking forward this weekend. Gonna be a good time. Uh, so you know, do Gasparilla then. Do the NFL, uh, you know, conference tile games on Sunday, and then uh, Monday I'll be right back into the office, back to the grind. The grind never stops, but uh, yeah, man, I look yeah. forward to talking to MMA next week with you. We'll see what kind of crazy crap happens then. Exactly. Who knows what might happen over the next seven days? But of course, as always, we appreciate you tuning in this episode of the podcast. We'll be back next week to talk about everything going on in the world of mixed martial arts.